welcome to UX Panther season 3 where i dushyant kanungo talk to the leaders in the design field about their journey and what inspires them to be the best i also touch upon the aspects of the industry such as jobs trends and challenges to name a few this podcast is presented by galaxy ux studio and powered by galaxy weblinks an inc 5000 company hello everyone welcome we are back with all new episodes of ux panther i'm dushyant your host and i'm here to give you a tour of the wide world of design i'd like to express my thanks to galaxy ux studio who is our podcast sponsors today's guest is an award winning creative force who has built a reputation in preparing brands by identifying opportunities that incite transform and growth for non-profits and startups for fortune 500 clients she is an experienced speaker and presenter and a member of the business first 2016s 40 under 40 class please join me in welcoming the supremely talented founder and ceo of zoco design lacy picasso thank you so much thanks for having me this morning thank you so much for having here lacy and uh, we are looking forward to an exciting episode ahead so as all the episodes that we start we always start by asking the question that what was the journey like how did you started in design and what made you choose this career and what made you what you are in the field sure absolutely so i am a designer by background went to school for visual communication design but i would say that it even started in childhood like i think that like a lot of creative kids i was always looking to create home videos create lego cities I was part of like a performing troupe of creatives to this thing called Destination Imagination. And so I enjoyed making things um and iterating and experimenting even as a young child. And so when I got into my career as a designer, I was largely focused on digital design, creating software, creating websites, um you know, some similar projects to what our team does today. But I'll tell you the challenges that I had as a designer that actually eventually became the impetus to start Zoco our studio are that one I never felt well integrated with my teammates and so many agencies still work this way today but where you know a designer is so siloed into design this is what I do I don't collaborate with business analysis I don't collaborate with research and I don't collaborate with engineering until I'm in those handoff phases right it's this odd relay yeah. race scenario and I was really craving integration I wanted to work with my teammates and stop having the challenges of oh we we can't build that well i wish i could have talked to you 4 months ago right like how, how do we collaborate better so that we can get to better outcomes um and a lot of the work that i was facilitating didn't feel very user centric right i always had questions around well why are we building this thing who are we building it for and how do we know that it will actually influence their behavior to some positive outcome for both the business and for that user and their goals and jobs to be done And so I was craving both of those things but felt very limited in my ability to achieve those limited by my role limited by the structure of those agencies and limited by my tenure and lack of experience right mm-hmm. um but fast forward a bit I actually um inventors not the right word but I I built a small tech startup with my spouse uh which is a whole other story and ultimately failed uh but it was a great experience because it helped connect me into the technology community into the venture capital community and help me see how supportive it was and how much folks in that community like to work how i like to work much more integrated collaborative 
um, and focused on you know bigger human problems and the technology we are creating. And so that really started to build some confidence in me to say, oh, well, maybe I could build a studio to work the way I want to work, right? Thinking like, oh, I'm going to be a designer forever, but I want to design differently. Um, I took a little hiatus from design to build some skills in a different role while I was freelancing at night because I knew I had some skill gaps to start my own business, um, but only did that for about a year and then decided, you know, I really miss working with the team. I really want to build a studio where I can have collaborators to build this vision of connecting psychology, connecting people with technology and product design. So I started Zoco in 2013. How creating with Zoco? I mean, finally you got recognized as the number one design and brand agency in Columbus in in 2021. So that is that must have been you know taken the stress away that this is something that you were building towards and finally you got there. Um, you know, like I I think I told you in the last time um, we had connected, while our team feels very energized to be recognized and to see the power and potential of their work, they are definitely most motivated by the impact we make for our clients. Um, and maybe it's because we're in the Midwest, but there's not a lot of ego on our team, right? Uh, we're very driven to keep improving, to keep iterating, testing, and learning, um, driven by mastery and not just mastery of UX, because we're a UX only studio, that's all we do, um, mm -hmm. but also driven to improve their soft skills, improve how candid they can be with each other, improve how they present and how they um, approach challenging conversations, right? Um, and so all of those different areas, our team's really motivated to grow and learn in, um, but just by seeing the impact and growth of our work with our clients and the users that they touch, that's very motivating for our team. But then the other words are definitely going to do a boost to that. I mean, when you talked about <laughs> workplace betterment, I mean, you are also rated as best places to work by Columbus yeah. Business First. You're also in the multi-year business first, best places to work in first past 50 and also something in, in the Inc. 5000s list about the mm -hmm. International Webby Awards. And so all this recognition, when it comes, I think it, it must be very heartening as in it gives you the sense of the achievement that this is what you set out to do when you yeah. uh, started off this agency and now you are there. And so how does one plan uh, to build a business like this? Oh, gosh. I mean, to say that I had a solid plan would be giving me too much credit. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you this. The vision from the beginning is still true now that we're 10 years in. We'll be 10 uh, in two weeks. So we're closing out That's our first decade. Thank you. And the vision to bring more user centricity to design and technology and product, um, that is still the case and still what we champion and what we fight for. Um, but, you know, the beliefs I had about exactly what motivated me, what I wanted to build, the size of the company, the types of clients we'd want to work with, all of that has really evolved over time. My leadership's evolved over time. Um, you know, when I started, I had never had a business class. I had never taken a finance class and definitely nothing in HR, right? And so like when you start a business as a team of one, because I didn't have any co-founders other than my dog, um, like you're learning and upskilling in lots of places. I knew the services well. I knew what I wanted to build and to offer to the world, but everything else that has to go into running a business was a lot of trial and error, a lot of test and learn until we started to find our groove to know what are our priorities, what won't we dilute through growth 
And how do we like make sure we're championing the right things as we grow? So one thing which I have learned from my experiences, and I was speaking with another founder of a studio called Coco Studio. I think it's in, it's not Zoko, it's Coco in, in, in Dor, <laughs> uh, India. And uh, this very comprehensive discussion that we had was about that how much work on the other side of the business that a designer has to do because mm-hmm. you are doing sales, you are doing marketing yeah. because nobody else would understand that what you are actually doing and getting a person who doesn't understand design would be really yeah. hard for them to actually sell it. Mm-hmm. So you are doing everything other than accounting because that is the only thing that, <laughs> that you can actually say that, okay, here's the incoming, right. here's the outgoing, but the rest, everything you need to be well on your feet to work on. Yes. Yeah, I think especially for the best UX teams, um, because we work with all shapes and sizes and levels of maturity of product teams. That's typically our, our client as we're embedding in a product team. But when those teams run really well, their team tends to be more integrated, more T-shaped. And then to your point, like the skill set blend is insane, right? Like you're not just focused on, okay, I'm a UX architect and this is the only thing I do, or I'm only making design systems, it's the only thing I do. They have to understand the business. They have to understand the system that product lives within. They have to understand psychology and different user segments. They have to understand data. And like, there's so many complexities. Like, I feel like I've gotten an MBA in in legal too, right? Like understanding not just for contracts and, you know, the parts that are legal for Zoco, but understanding compliance and regulations and GDPR and how we facilitate research with minors. Like they're so much complexity into different parts of UX, which is fascinating, right? Because I think for those of us who kind of um, fancy is like wanting to learn diverse industries, wanting to see different parts of business, mm-hmm. it's the best role to be able to get into that. And you get to explore a lot of businesses, get to see how people actually function in various organizations. And anytime a digital transformation project is handed to you, it's always the case that how you can ensure that everybody's voice of the end user group is heard. And uh, basically this is called the being the advocates of the end user becomes a primary job in the end. But yeah, this is, this is a very multifaceted uh, profile in which we function. Mm-hmm. All right. So before we go any further, I want to take a break from the regular conversation and I want to pull you into some rapid fire questioning just to know sure. more about you. <laughs> All right, so let's have my first question, which is, who was your most memorable client? Oh, gosh. I mean, we've had a lot of memorable clients for different reasons over the last 10 years. Um, But I'll tell you, so we, you know, our work is diverse in that we work with high growth, high potential startups. um, And then we work with much bigger players, very well-known brands that are trying to mature in product and think about CX really differently. Um, but honestly, the example I'm going to give is neither of those categories. I'm going to share, we've worked with the Mid-Ohio Food Collective, which is one of the largest food bank systems in the U.S. We've worked with them for several years, and especially while being in the nonprofit sector, there are a lot of limits in that space. There are limits for who they hire, there are limits for how they resource, there are limits for all sorts of things. Um, but the Mid-Ohio Food Collective has some of the most visionary leadership that I've ever worked with, and they are customer obsessive from a data standpoint, from how they try and understand a holistic person, not just the person with the lens of food insecurity, but what are all of their needs and how do they get to this position and how do we help get them out? 
And so we've done a lot of work with that team over the years and oh, so much credit to them because they are such wonderful champions um, and are, are so wicked smart. But we've built right. a number of data products for them that um, actually have even rolled out nationally across the US and are serving tens of millions of people to help them have better access to food, have better access to different resources to uh, help end hunger. And so I think, you know, when you think about the opportunity for impact with UX, thinking of clients in that space are really impactful to me. Okay, second question. If your pet could talk, what would it say about you? If my pet could talk, well, Roscoe is now 14, so he's probably pretty crotchety and cranky <laughs> in this phase of life. Um, oh, gosh, I don't know. I will tell you, and I'm not going to do it on the podcast. I have a voice for him that kind of sounds like Doug from the Disney Pixar movie Up. <laughs> That's how I imagine he sounds. Um, what he would say for me, he would probably want me to slow down. Uh, stop working so fast and just like give him more couch cuddles <laughs> because in his old age, that's all he wants to do is lay about. Uh, my dog, actually, he shuts off the flap of the laptop and more <laughs> often than not, I would imagine that he's saying that I am here. Why are you looking onto the screen? You just need to be here. What else do we need in the world? And yes. <laughs> that's the, <laughs> the entire conversation that we are going to get out of them. All right. Are you a very cautious person or a bold person? You know, I think that it's a loaded question because I see both in myself. I am cautious when it comes to our culture and making sure I don't dilute or take too many risks in breaking that. I am not cautious at all in wanting to experiment, test and learn, figure out, well, can we try this thing that's never been tried? And how can we do that in the least risky way possible? Um, but I mean, we've got our start working with corporate innovation teams, right? And so thinking about uh, the tolerance for risk and doing things differently is built into our fabric. But I think both are true, right? There are opportunities where I see myself on both ends of the spectrum. All right. What was your favorite subject in school? Hmm. Probably creative writing. Um, love reading, love writing. Uh, I would say that that's an art class, right? Like the sort of things you would assume a designer might love. Um, science and math, I was great at up until college and then lost all interest in those subjects. <laughs> and so now when I'm needing to build control charts or, you know, like income forecasts for our business, thank goodness for having a wonderful VP of ops and finance, because that's not my brain anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So books or movies? Uh, books. Absolutely books. Your favorite movie then? Oh, my favorite movie. Gosh, I don't know if I have one, which is such a lame answer. Um, I much prefer books because I like creating up my own vision for what's happening in my head. All right. So which house in Hogwarts do you see yourself at? <laughs> I love this. And I'm a Harry Potter nerd. So it's fun that you've asked this. I mean, I have to say Gryffindor, but I definitely have tenants of both being a Ravenclaw and a Slytherin. I, oh. uh, <laughs> so, I mean, like, if you break that down, I don't know that I squarely fit into one camp. I would hope that when the hat's on my head, it gives me the choice as it did Harry so I can pick my own house. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody goes for Hufflepuff, do they? <laughs> I know, this is true. <laughs> All right. And with that, 
I have to ask that what is the one book that you would recommend everyone to read? Oh gosh, the one book. Gosh. Okay, so I love fiction. Um, and so I think, you know, maybe the answer is like, what are great UX books? And I love psychology books. I've been reading um, How Emotions Are Made and Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain. So like love great psycho psychology connection books, but I'm much more of a nerd. And so I also am reading Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. I love the Midnight Library. I love Harry Potter, love Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, and so I think like thinking about different worlds and world building and different cultures is much more fascinating to me. Amazing. And right now, even though I'm not able to play the game, I'm watching Hogwarts Legacy gameplay on YouTube, by the way, just to know <laughs> more about the world and the things the, guy, the guys are doing. It's amazing. It's If you ever find time, that is another yes. way for heads to unite and uh, uh -huh. <laughs> go there. So, yeah, so it's it. in my it's in my watch list. So I have a switch. My daughters and I have a switch and it does not come out on the switch until the end of July. So uh -huh. hopefully we will get to play it then because I am a closet video game nerd and love playing video games, but I have not gotten to play it yet. <laughs> All right. So with that, fun trivia and basically knowing more than who you are as a person now that we are coming back to the original topic of discussion when you started this business until now in the entire decade a lot of women entrepreneurial support groups and the systems are in place now but when you started off hardly any community communities to be found where there was a larger support system available uh, mm -hmm. for women in business so how did you navigate through difficulties at that point? And was it very difficult, moderately difficult? What was your support system like? And do you think the times have changed really? You know, I'll answer that question in a few parts. Um, first, I found the most value in my own learning and development by creating community, like finding other folks who are trying to solve similar problems to me and building one-on-one -on -one relationships. I've been a part of a lot of round tables and peer circles, um, I'm in one today that I've been in for eight years with the same group of people, which has been wonderful. Uh, so I think the more that you can build and manifest good energy and community, the more it comes back to you because you're gonna learn so much. And so early days of building Zoco, um, I actually was very lucky to meet a number of other fantastic women founders uh, who had their own businesses, who were growing and championing, building their cultures and teams in different ways. Um, I'm in Columbus, Ohio which in the Midwest, um, we actually have the largest chapter of NABO in the nation. Uh, NABO is the National Association of Women Business Owners. And so there are many women-led companies in the Midwest and in Columbus, Ohio, which is wonderful. Um, and so I did get to build that community with other women who had similar goals and ambitions as I did. I will tell you though, because um, as a UX only studio, we primarily work with technology teams and product teams, which are very male dominated. And so when I'm going to more industry focused groups, when I'm doing more networking or going to conferences, um, and if a peer wants to find me there, it's pretty easy because I'm one of very few women. And that has changed over time, especially as UX and UX research have really grown and matured on different teams and organizations. Because I think those um, are much more diverse uh, than other parts of technology. Um, and there are a lot more women, especially in UX research. But yeah, I would say early days that didn't, um, that wasn't quite as true. And there were far fewer teams that had very many UXers on them. 
Nice. So if there is no support system available, build your own. I think that must mm-hmm. be the approach that you took. And that is, I think, holds true in anybody who is actually setting out to do something new. And if you can't find the existing platforms to build on, why not build the platform and make sure that, you know, you keep getting support, you support others and, you know, you, you get the mm-hmm. paths open for you from that point onwards. On the same mm-hmm. note, you also were talking about the domination of a, a one particular gender in certain type of businesses. You are also focused a lot on your team and cultural building that you do within Zoko. Would you mind shedding some light about how uh, do you go about it and where yeah. your the sense of ensuring that everything is, is is put together and now you're satisfied and how do you manage all that? Yeah, I will tell you that I learned early on at Zoco that cultivating a team and creating a pos- uh, positive and very connected culture is probably the most central motivator for me in building my business more than anything else. I'm very motivated and energized. I want to put energy into creating a dope experience for my team. Um, but what I've learned is like all of the principles we know as UXers that your listeners know as UXers, apply those to team and culture, right? Like treat your team and your culture like a product, which seems kind of like, well, duh, right? Of course you do. But I've seen so few companies and organizations think of it that way. So if you are trying to think, what is my culture? How do I evangelize that? How do I uh, create the right culture? It's all the same, right? Like you're trying to understand your psychographic segments of like what your teammates value and how they best work together. And so I did that for myself. How do I work? How do I, what do I value in my teammates? And where have I seen friction when those values aren't aligned? Not necessarily because one's right or wrong, but because they're just different, right? And so they conflict and understanding what those are. And then going out and finding users, customers, employees, in this case, who fit those same values, those same psychographic segments, who care about those same things. And then thinking about their journey holistically in the business, how do you onboard them? How do you cultivate that experience? How do you, through rituals, continue to reinforce what those values are so that rather than culture being top-down, it's much more immersive, right? Whereas if we bring in an intern or a new teammate and they're doing something that again, isn't bad, it's just different than our culture. Um, My whole team's reinforcing, right? And saying, well, actually here's another way to do this. And they're also um, showing gratitude and uplifting each other when they see their teammates supporting and upholding our culture. And they're doing that verbally. And I think those sort of things have really manifested into one of the best parts of our business is just how aligned our team is. So this is where the bigger differentiators come in from somebody working for a big high-tech software company or maybe mm-hmm. it's a service IT company or it's a big software giant which has bigger products that they are. And I think sometimes the culture is somewhat designed to for, for everybody to fit in rather than an evolved culture. And that is something that you get when you are getting associated with medium-sized or small-sized studio company and the boutique uh, organization. So I think what you just said, it also makes uh, sense in regards of that, how as a manager or as a hiring boss or an entrepreneur, how do I want the culture of my organization to be? Do I want to be 100% totalitarian boss where everybody Mm -hmm. hates and want to jump off the ship at the first opportunity given to them? Or do you want to build the sense of ownership and belonging within your team? 
and that can only come uh, because their opinions are valued, mm-hmm. validated, and they see the growth path in in their career that they can actually grow by mm-hmm. even by staying at one place rather than having to hop on to different positions to yeah. get to the best places in their career. Mm-hmm. You got it. All right. So nice to get agreed on uh, that particular part because I was I was quite thinking about it because you got so many awards and nominations in that category as well. And also mm-hmm. there were you are chair of so many committees uh, where you are actually taking part in doing so much for the uh, social welfare and the causes and you know associating with all the community people. So that is where I, this was one thing that came out of our last discussion that I really wanted to explore more was your views on the the, the team parts and the cultural parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so as somebody new who is joining the domain, I mean, there is a big difference between, there are two types of designers, right? Uh, one who start their careers by studying design and I call them career designers because I am also a career designer because I knew this is what I wanted to do. And so did you that, you know, from the beginning, we did our education in design. So I did, I went to college to study web design and uh, digital domains when I had the chance. But a lot of people and the second side of the people who come to this domain, they come from psychology domain because they studied a lot about human behavior. And anytime they got in touch with, Mm -hmm. they get the opportunity to work in technology, they said, oh, we definitely need to work in the user experience domain because we can utilize the things that we have learned in the past about the human behavior. So if anybody is starting out in the design career, where, what sort of advice would you like to give to them? I mean, if somebody is coming from the design side and somebody is coming from the other side of the fence. Yeah. You know, I think like one, I, I hope people feel empowered today more than ever to build the career that they want and not feel like it has to fit into a box. Right. And I would say that that is what I've maybe done best in building Zoco and deciding to leave an agency um, or, or prior roles, right, is how do you identify what specifically you want for yourself? How do you test and learn to even know the answer to that question? And then just do it, right? And just test it out, give it a shot. You can always revert back to what you were doing before. You don't, you're not necessarily making life choices that are irreversible. Um, and so I think that was part of the confidence in starting Zoco as a studio is, well, I mean, at the time, that time in my life, especially my risk was just my time and compensation, right? And so it's like, well, I can give this a shot. And I'm sure I could always go back to working for an agency or working for an in-house UX team and can figure that out. But let's just try it. Um, but I'll tell you the other piece of that is making sure that you're building a career that you want. Because we work so often in the startup uh, space and, and VC funded scaling startups, We'll see a lot of entrepreneurs who are miserable, who are building what the market wants them to, what their investors want them to, and what the company needs of them, but it's not what gives them energy. It not, it's not what makes them you know, thrilled to get out of bed in the morning. It's just a means to building an empire, right? Um, and so we actually take that same principle I learned early for myself and apply that to our team. So like when we hire somebody who's relatively new, we don't always let them silo into a role right away. And not that our roles are siloed, but it's like, I want you to experiment across different parts of the business. I want you to kind of have like test portions of the role and job descriptions that you can see, do I like that piece? Might that be something I want to grow in? Because sometimes you don't know until you give it a shot and be able to individualize that career pathing, not only for what somebody's skill sets are, 
but like, how does their brain work? Where is their heart at? And giving people the latitude to know that will change over time. Like there's nothing like having somebody say, oh, Lacey, like I just really want a lot of generative research work. That's my favorite. I want so much of it. Well, at Zoco, if you ask, you shall receive and we will get you a bunch of that work. <laughs> but if you're deep in the weeds in generative work for six, nine months and you're like, actually, I didn't mean that much, you know, <laughs> like, okay, great. Let's pivot. Let's figure that out too. Right. And so we apply a lot of UX principles and design thinking principles to how we actually operate the business. Um, but the last piece related to building what you want is making sure you ask for what you want. And I think this is a piece that took me longer to learn. And I don't know if that's because I'm from the Midwest and, you know, we're always like very nice and humble folks, um, or if it's because I'm a woman and a mother, but I used to have a hard time, one, saying no without, you know, a bunch of rationale and reasons for saying no. Hey, Lacey, will you be on this board? Hey, Lacey, will you come to this thing? Hey, Lacey, will you do this? Okay, if it'll help you, sure, right? Uh, but I also had a hard time if it felt like, you know, it was a little egotistical or if it felt like too much to ask for just saying, hey, this is what I want out of this. Uh, so I'll never forget, I had a rare opportunity. It was my first ever chance to do a keynote engagement for a conference. But I, I was asked to do this the day after I had told my mentor, I'm done with evening events. I've got three small kiddos. I'm not doing them. I'm taking a hiatus. <laughs> and then literally the next day, the universe tested me with this offer to do an evening keynote. And I said, oh, I really want to do this, especially because the topic was like central to my values and things I care about. Um, but then I, I, my mentor told me, well, under what circumstances would you do it? And if your other option is to not do it at all, why don't you just ask for what you want? Why don't you ask to do it during the workday? And I'm like, no, I couldn't, I shouldn't. That's so rude. How could I be so you know, self-important? He's like, well, if the option is that or say no, you might as well ask. And so I asked and darn it, they told me, sure. They moved the conference schedule around <laughs> and they had me speak at four so I could be out shortly after five, go pick up my three kiddos and have an evening with them. And it was just yeah. like a great, like, you know, reaffirming, ask for what you want. You, you won't get it if you don't, right? And so like be more confident in putting that out there. Nobody's gonna think less of you. Um, and so I think being verbal, being candid, being transparent is really important in building any career, whether you're an entrepreneur or an, or a, an agency CEO like I am, or if you're just trying to be the best UXer in the land. Thank you so much for sharing those insights. I believe that everybody, not just uh, some intern or people who are just starting their careers would benefit from it. But even the senior designers can actually take a hint from uh, what you just said, because if you don't ask, the, the next person is no, never going to guess that this is something that you want. So yeah. having that clarity of thought in communication is always important. It doesn't matter which phase of your career you are at it doesn't matter that if you are a very senior person in the organization because the next person is never going to guess out of your head mm -hmm. so yeah that that is one of the amazing advices so I think this conversation we had so many topics that we picked on there's so many insights that we actually gathered you are building a team with a different your, the values that you have set out to do and congratulations once again for 10 years of the agency and with that i'd say it was a pleasure to talk to you and i hope that we get a lot of responses we are definitely going to get a lot of responses after this conversation so thanks once again for joining us and 
people who are listening to this do not forget to check out the portfolio of zoko design studio and just follow us on linkedin make sure that you are prepared with everything which lies in the career ahead and if you want to get in touch with lacy she is on linkedin she is very responsive and they are great for business so do watch out for uh, things to come so thank you very much and have a great day ahead thank you you as well thanks so much for having me thank you bye